Well, good morning. Welcome back to the Broadcast Retirement Network. I'm Jeff Snyder. This is BRN AM for Monday, July 18th, 2022. And our top story today, key challenges for state and local governments in workforce recruiting and retaining. Well, joining me now to discuss this and a lot more is Dr. Josh Franzel of the Mission Square Retirement Institute. Josh, so great to see you. Thanks for joining us again on the program this morning. Well, Jeff, it's always great to join you, and, and I always enjoy the conversations we have, when, especially when reports like our workforce report has recently come out. Yeah, and, and I want to get into the details here. I think we last had you on, uh, I don't know, maybe eight to 10 months ago, talking about some great research that you and the Mission Square Research Team Institute team are doing. Let's mm-hmm. talk about this state and local workforce um, report. First of all, it was done in partnership with several other organizations. Who were your partners here? And I would imagine that you surveyed quite a number of governmental organizations. Yeah, so so we've been doing this survey series every year since 2009, and it's a partnership between the Mission Square Research Institute, which used to be known as the Center for State and Local Government Excellence, along with the International Public Management Association for Human Resources, and the National Association of State Personnel Executives. And we've been doing this every year to sort of track uh, what, what we know about the state and local workforce in terms of workforce changes, benefit and compensation changes, um, how work is being carried out in, in the public sector, in the state and local sector, and, and looking forward, sort of what are, what's top of mind for the public sector when it comes to their workforce going forward. Um, you know, the, the survey um, is of state and local, is of the IPMHR and NASB members, which are the human resource leaders at either at the state level or local level. So they really have uh, a really good understanding of some of the, the key changes going on in the sector. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about um, hiring. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the COVID pandemic created a lot of challenges from a health perspective but also a financial perspective. And many state local governments saw some attrition, mm-hmm. um, but are they hiring more full-time employees now? Are things ramping back up into normal now that we're, we've reached the quote-unquote endemic phase of this pandemic? Yeah, so, so this continues to remain one of the most challenging workforce situations the state and local government sector has faced in decades. and. Um, when it's for a number of different reasons, uh, and um, we can go into if you like, but but you know, governments certainly are in a position to hire. They need to hire to fill uh, to fill key uh, roles and responsibilities. But at the same same time, we're seeing near uh, near historic retirement rates uh, for retirement eligible employees, and it's it's just challenging in terms of the need to hire and the ability to hire, but the availability of of skilled talent that uh, that is able to be provided in either the local or regional uh, labor market. And, and Josh, it's not just police, firefighters, emergency personnel, right? It could be people 
at your local department of motor vehicles. It could be administrative workers, people that, you know, we rely on government, especially our state and local governments to do a lot of work for us as citizens. We need good people uh, to do that work. A lot of it, some of it's automated, but not all of it. Now, I would encourage your your viewers to, to sort of read through the report. Um, there is one area where we ask what sort of the hardest to fill positions are. And, you know, you brought up a couple of uh, police, engineering, uh, dispatch, uh, building permitting and inspections, uh, public health nurses. They're at the top of the list. Um, they, quite frankly, they've often always been at the top of the list, but just the, the percentage of HR directors reporting that they're having a hard time recruiting those folks has just increased. For example, engineering, 78% of HR uh, directors say they're having a hard time uh, filling those positions. Policing, 78%. Um, dispatch, 75%. So it, it's, it's a, so it's a large portion of the sectors having a hard time recruiting those sort of top five positions. But as you go down the list, it's filled with knowledge workers and skilled trades. And, and to your point about automation, a lot of the contraction we're seeing in the public sector is being driven by um, automation and um, a sort of the implementation of IT solutions for some of the more um, transactional sort of positions in the public sector. Josh, let's, one question I wanted to ask you, and, and we've seen a difficulty in the private sector getting people back to work because they want to work remote and or they want to work hybrid. How has the public sector adopted uh, to hybrid? Can, can government workers, uh, both at the state and local level, work remotely? Are they working remotely? Are they working in a hybrid mode? Is that something that's an option? So um, for, for some governments and for some positions, um, and this was a trend we saw even before the pandemic, where um, governments were taking a fresh look at what positions could be done either full-time remote or in a, a, a hybrid fashion. Um, and that, that the number of positions and the number of people within those positions only increased throughout the course of the pandemic. Um, we're also seeing a, a, a sort of reevaluation of um, the types of positions that perhaps um, one would think couldn't be couldn't be done remotely. Or they're coming up with new ways of, of doing that in a hybrid fashion. So it's certainly something that is being done for retention purposes, but also as these these governments go out and advertise positions for some potential recruitment purposes as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I have to think you know there's got to be flexibility. I think, like, as, as I mentioned, private sector workers, the the employers realize, hey, you know, people got used to being at home, and maybe there is a way to work remotely and, and hybrid. I know both you and I kind of do that with our, our careers. So it, if it can work for us, it probably can work for others. Let's talk about recruitment. Um, you know, back in the, in the old days, uh, when I was first coming into the labor force, yet you heard of job opportunities through word of mouth. There was this the beginning of something called the internet where you went to something like monster.com. How do agencies in the state and local arena fill or recruit new workers. So if people are looking for postings, mm -hmm. uh, where do they find them? Well, certainly they still use their, their websites as sort of a backbone for their um, job postings. But we're seeing, we've seen over the past several years, uh, an increase in the emphasis on the usage of social media mm -hmm. to connect with potential employees. 
not only not only from the community itself, but from the from the broader uh, metropolitan area or region. And so the usage of varying approaches in social media has certainly increased over the past series of years. Um, and then also um, we're we're seeing sort of some more um, I don't know how you'd phrase it maybe. Uh, more more traditional approaches for recruitment and retention in terms of word of mouth. Like you have a you have a talented uh, workforce already working for the government that has an, have networks in and of themselves, and so uh, leveraging connections that your employees on staff have to other talent that they're trying to leverage those those a lot more as well, especially to reach as wide of a, a of a, a range of the community as possible when advertising jobs. So it's sort of some new and some more traditional approaches as well. Yeah, it's funny how uh, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Josh, I need to take a very quick break, break I should say. Can't get it out. When we come back, we'll talk about diversity, equity, and, and inclusion at state and local governments, as well as retirement preparedness. You're going to want to stay tuned right here on BRN AM. Imagine a new television network that will make you richer, healthier, and in control of your financial future. This network is for the policewoman in Nashville, Tennessee, the baker in Dubuque, Iowa, the teacher in Lexington, Kentucky. We want to make the idea of savings and retirement culturally relevant. But what do you see as a defining issue of the midterms? Especially for the smaller businesses, I mean, they are the lifeblood of the American economy. Featuring exclusive interviews, current affairs, and docu-series. 33 yeah. years old, you retired early. The philosophy is money only matters if it helps you live a life that you love. But you gotta start thinking about retirement as soon as you get in. The Broadcast Retirement Network will drive very high engagement with premium partnerships. So this isn't retirement and savings for your parents or grandparents. This is for all Americans. And we're gonna change the way you think about money. Welcome to the next frontier of retirement and savings. This is BRN, the Broadcast Retirement Network. Are you over 50? Would you like to get up to 33% more income in retirement? Then call now for this free book, Annuity Do's and Don'ts for Baby Boomers. This free book reveals little-known secrets about annuity strategies that will help you make the right choices before buying an annuity. Call right now for your free book. And as a bonus, we'll also throw in a free annuity rate report, both absolutely free, for calling Annuity General today. Call 800-504-8194. Welcome back. We're talking this morning to Dr. Josh Franzel. He is with the Mission Square Retirement Institute. Josh, thanks so much for sticking with us this morning. Oh, thanks for having me. Thank you. And and I wanted to pick up the conversation. I know I want to talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, and retirement preparedness. Mm -hmm. But are there certain jobs that recruiters cannot find uh, people for? Cannot find candidates for? Yeah, I, 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 
when we were talking earlier about the hard to fill positions, um, you know, I think it's important for um, <clears throat> your viewers to really understand that, you know, governments for the most part are well positioned right now to, to hire folks, you know, when relatively overall, relatively healthy tax and fee revenues, a couple tranches of federal federal funds, put them in a position where they're able to hire and they need to hire. But what we've seen is just because they have the ability to hire and they need to hire, the local labor force doesn't always provide the, the level of skill talent they need to fill those positions. So, for example, on our workforce survey that we uh, that we just released, 94% um, of HR directors, 94% said they're not getting the number of applications to fill the positions that they have open for registered nurses, for example. 94% uh, also said the number of applications they're receiving from from uh, from um, interested applicants um, do not fill the number of positions open for engineers. The same, similar trends for police, IT employees, maintenance workers. There, there is right now uh, a mismatch for some of the key positions in terms of availability of labor with the, the need to hire labor. And I think that's an important thing to keep in mind going forward, um, especially as governments, again, are in a position to hire and they need to hire. Yeah, and, and you bring up nurses. Look, I mean, if the pandemic didn't teach us that we need more medical people, not less medical people, uh, if I'm a university or a college program or someone in the community, maybe I might think of starting a program knowing that the state and local government in which I am domiciled needs mm -hmm. candidates. Josh, I want to talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion. You know, this is a big initiative. We, we often talk about this in the context of ESG and sustainability. How important is diversity or DE&I? I'm just going to use the acronym. How important is that for state and lo local government hiring and, and the workforce? Yeah, it's, it's rightfully so getting more um, uh, attention by elected and appointed officials throughout the state and local community. Um, uh, what we're seeing not only is um, efforts are being placed through a DEI lens, not only on the, rec the recruitment side to make sure that you're casting a wide net for available when you're advertising your positions and you're reaching out to the individuals in the community regarding available positions in the governments, but also on the retention side, uh, ensuring that that benefits um, uh, employee programs are all geared to ensuring that everyone feels um, um, included and um, part of the organization and positions themselves so that they're willing to stay with the, the government uh, entity for as long as as long as they want and don't feel the need that they have to change positions. And so DEI from a city manager's perspective or HR director's perspective is really being applied not only on sort of the uh, recruitment side, but also the retention side as well. And um, it, for those, uh, we'll put up our, our, um, our website um, perhaps later in, in this, in this um, uh, interview, but we just released a new DEI survey report um, that sort of provides a lot of the context around sort of what the DEI programs in the local government sector are looking like in 2022, um, different approaches, certain barriers that might be in place. And so I'd encourage your, your, uh, your viewers to take a look at that as well. Josh, I can't let you get away without talking about retirement. And, mm -hmm. you know, retirement is a core component of what Mission Square does. Mm -hmm. And I know it's a big part of what you all look at at the Mission Square Retirement Institute. 
Are government workers, are they feeling or do employers feel as though their employees are financially ready for retirement? You know, the, the, the inflation that we're all facing, uh, mm-hmm. some of the challenges with the market. What's the, what's the tone? What's the feeling of, of hiring managers in terms of, of retirement? Because if you can't get people, get people to retire and they mm-hmm. work forever, you're never going to hire some new workers. You're never going to get fresh blood into the, uh, the bloodstream. Yeah, I guess there are a couple of different angles there. So, so um, on the retirement preparedness side, uh, you know, one of the, one of the um, findings from our workforce survey we found that only about forty one percent of all uh, HR directors we we surveyed felt their employees were were financially ready for retirement. That said, um, on when we focus on both the compensation and benefit side of it. Um, HR directors really see benefits as being a strategic advantage for, for the sector. So, for example, 44% uh, of HR directors thought salary was, the salaries they were offering overall were competitive with the, the private sector. Um, it was 85% for, for benefits. And so I, I think it's, it's a sort of a multi-layered conversation when it comes to preparedness versus sort of the strategic advantage that, that these benefits provide the sector. I, I'll also say more generally on the retirement side, um, when we asked um, what HR directors know about their, and, and generally about their retirement eligible employees, um, and what has been surprising is 53% of, of HR directors reported that their retirement eligibles are actually accelerating the retirement. Um, this is almost a complete flip from what we saw following the Great Recession, when a lot of retirement eligibles were delaying their retirement. So it's it's sort of a mixed bag. Like governments are in a good position in terms of providing high quality retirement and health benefits. That's great. Uh, there are some concerns about sort of retirement readiness, but at the same time, the pandemic, the the, the natural uh, flow of sort of the underlying age demographics of the sector is leading to uh, an increase in retirements um, that have been planned for a while, but perhaps have been accelerated by, by the pandemic. And that's something that our institute's certainly going to be keeping an eye on. And I think it's important for um, elected and appointed officials to, to keep an eye on as well. Josh, do you anticipate things maybe changing a little bit, thinking about the experience of the Great Recession uh, when it comes to uh, the inflation and some of the uncertainty? I mean, people... You know, we don't like uncertainty. And if you're getting close to, quote unquote, retirement, and maybe you're going to go off and do something else, right? If you're a 55-year-old police officer, you may do bodyguard work. You may do something mm-hmm. that's less physically active. But do you think that uncertainty changes any of that? Potentially. I, I, well, no, I think that, that sort of some of the impacts of inflation and uncertainty is already uh, impacting the conversations going on, both at the state and local levels in terms of um cost of living adjustments and and um, adjustments to pay schedules. For example, so several states around the country and many local governments around the country are reevaluating uh, the pay schedules that they've been offering um, that often have been very um, uh, stagnant in terms of adjustments being made, of, especially over the past decade. And so there's a, they're taking a fresh look at, at whether or not their pay schedules are competitive and whether or not the annual changes reflect the realities of, of an in higher inflationary environment. On the retirement side, you're also seeing um, uh, either automatic or um, ad hoc reevaluation of cost of living adjustments in many 
uh, for many uh, retirement systems about whether en enabling the retirement benefits to keep up with the impacts of inflation. So I think it's on both sides of the retirement uh, line in terms of uh, inflation being accounted for. Or, um, and I, I would only expect that to continue going forward. Yeah, I think that's going to be an interesting thing to watch how all, you know, obviously uh, when you do a survey, it's there, it's looking uh, backwards, not forwards, because it's mm -hmm. at a point in time. So I think that that's probably what makes your job very interesting in that you and the team get to look at the results and kind of track this and map this all out. Josh, we're going to have to leave it there. Really great to see you as always. Great report. And we look forward to having you back on the program again very soon. Wonderful. Thank you very much and have a wonderful summer. Thank you. That wraps up this episode of BRNAM. Have a topic of interest? Somebody you think we should talk to? Drop us a line. And don't forget, for all the latest curated news and lifestyle, wellness, finance, tech, so much more all in one place, check out today's edition of our daily newsletter, The Morning Pulse. Want to search our archives, check out our latest content, or visit our website, and of course, our streaming partners. We're back again tomorrow for another edition of BRNAM. Until then, I'm Jeff Snyder. Stay safe, keep on saving, and don't forget... Roll with the changes. Now is your opportunity to co-create content around any topic on the first lifestyle and wellness network. Reach a global audience through our platform and co-own exclusive branded content. All of our programs are available on demand and also as audio-only podcasts, so you can take us on the go. Broadcast Retirement Network, available anytime, anywhere, and on any device. Are you being audited? And do you owe the IRS $10,000 or more in back taxes? Is the IRS threatening to take more of your money? Don't fight the IRS alone. The tax doctor is here to help you negotiate your tax bill and reduce your stress. The IRS can freeze your assets and seize your bank accounts, but you can stop these IRS actions. The tax doctor will work with you using our years of experience to represent your case to help you get the best resolution under the IRS guidelines. Help is here to deal with the IRS to reduce your stress. We've handled thousands of cases, so we know what we're doing. If you owe $10,000 or more in back taxes, do not call the IRS alone. Call a tax doctor now for a tax emergency analysis. Call 800-224-6439.